Kristen, we have four movies, I think, to talk about uh, this week. We're going to start with one, the to-do list, which is set in the summer of 1993. Were you alive in the summer of 93, Rafer? <laughs> I certainly was alive. <laughs> I was more than alive. I so alive. sometimes because you're so youthful. You have that youthful <laughs> energy about you. Yes. What were you doing in the summer of 93, Kristen? Well, I was still a teenager, and wow. I remember it was my last year as a teenager, and I think I was living with my friend Dave in kind of a crappy uh, neighborhood. I, I, I don't want to say it was crappy. It was, you know, it was not quite um, free of crime and not <laughs> quite safe. And okay, discreetly put. Yeah, not, not 100% where you'd necessarily want your suburban kid moving, but we lived there. And in what city? In Minneapolis. Okay. And I remember that summer, uh, Dave and I would sometimes just hop in the car and go on a trip somewhere for a day. And he and I, I love Dave to death. Hey, Dave, if you're listening. Dave and I have been really tight friends ever since we sat next to each other in fifth grade math class. Oh, all right. Yeah. So Dave and I were roommates. I remember one day getting uh, locked out of the house. And because of the special kinds of neighbors we had, one of them was like, oh, I know how to break into your house. <laughs> and they just helped us break into our own house. So Nice. That, that was what I was doing in the summer of 93, listening to great music, going to tons of concerts. Of course, I'm going to say it's great music because anything you listen right. to as a teenager, you're going to be like, oh, the music was so great back then. Of course. Yes. And how about you? What were you doing? Well, you were – you. this is funny because you were ahead of me. Uh, you were a teenager then. I was – I'll just say not a teenager. Uh <laughs> And yet I was, I, yeah. And yet I was also living in a crappy apartment in a, in a bad neighborhood in San Francisco. Um, I, now I can't. This was, these were confusing times back then, Kristen, <laughs> and I can't remember exactly whether I'd already gone. I, I did a sort of a, a global, you know, I'd saved up a lot of money to go on a global travel with a with, some, with a friend of mine, you know, hopping through from one developing country to the next, as, as you do back then. Um, a great trip and a great time. But I can't remember if we'd already done that or if that was ahead of us. <laughs> and I can't remember if that was when I lived in the in – the, if that was the year when I lived in the house in the lower hate with the heroin addicts or if that was after. <laughs> but anyway, whatever I was doing, the, the real answer is nothing. The, real, <laughs> the, the basic answer is in the summer of 1993, I wasn't really doing anything. That's your answer. Really? But we'll, we'll talk about what, uh, what Aubrey Plaza, uh, the star of NBC's Parks and Rec, uh, it was doing in the summer of 1993. She is the star of The To-Do List, which is set in that year. We'll get to that shortly. Uh, but first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Mines, our producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. Okay. Um, let's talk about the to-do list. Uh, I'll give a brief uh, synopsis of this. This is the first time, first time film by uh, a writer-director named Maggie Carey based apparently on her own experiences or so she's telling us. Uh, Aubrey Plaza plays Brandy Clark, Clark with two Ks, one at the beginning, one at the end. Uh, she's an uptight type A high school valedictorian who decides uh, in the summer of 93 it's time to lose her virginity. Uh, but she can't just dive in. With the help of friends, she makes a list of various sexual acts. Uh, why so many jobs, she wonders. <laughs> uh, various sexual acts that will make her more experienced before her big night with the local hunk, Rusty Waters, uh, played by Scott Porter. Meanwhile, of course, 
She doesn't realize that her friend Cameron, played by Johnny Simmons, is in love with her. Here is a clip. Please welcome to the stage president of Mathletes, as well as her own self-published magazine, Women with a Y, valedictorian Brandy Clark. Get off the stage, virgin! <laughs> Kristen, this movie is, is right in your wheelhouse. It is totally in my wheelhouse, like you. We've talked about this before. Like you, I love a good sex comedy. I like R-rated sex comedies, and I think there should be more of them out there. And frankly, there just aren't enough with female leads. I was trying to think true. of other ones. Uh, Easy A, I think. Uh, oh, good call. Easy was, A. Was rated R, wasn't it? I'm pr- I don't quite remember. That, that was Emma, Emma Stone. Stone. Yeah. And I loved that one. And that one is kind of the opposite of this one in some ways because yeah. there's no sex involved in it, but it's a total feminist sex comedy. And yes. The way I saw it, I saw it as a feminist sex comedy. I did too. No, Easy A, I thought, was not a was not a perfect film by any means, but I thought it had a lot of smart ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And so does this one, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, because we have Aubrey Plaza. Name one. Oh! <laughs> oh! I think I know how you feel about this movie. <laughs> All right. I th- uh, you know what I liked? I like a woman who's in charge of her sexuality. She's much more mature than most teenagers are. Most teenage girls... Based on my experience, based on my friends, things are a lot more awkward and you're kind of like not quite knowing what you're doing. You can't quite speak up about ways that you want to experience pleasure. She is very straightforward in this movie with people she's involved with. That's true. I want it to be this way because of this. I want you to do this to me because of this. Yes. And uh, I would say that a lot of girls and probably boys too don't actually talk like that or know those things until, you know. They've done things a few times. Yes. Not the first time around like her. But uh, that being said, I liked that she seemed pretty real in other ways. She was smart. She was awkward. She was funny. She fought constantly with her sister, which I thought was great. I have an older sister yes. also. Rachel, Rachel Bilson plays her, uh, her, her older, far more experienced sister. <laughs> and her mom is played by Mrs. Coach, as people call her from Friday Night Lights, Connie Britton. Right. And uh, it's, it's just, you know, I thought all the women in the movie were terrific. And I liked how all the women interacted with each other. Some of the guys are more doofusy. Yeah. And I can see where some people might think, oh, the guys aren't given a fair shake. And, but that being said, I think the guys are... They're fine. And yeah. I don't think the guys are nearly as bad as the women are frequently written in all the male-dominated sex comedies out there. So, okay, that's a good point. So overall, I thought it was good fun. I love seeing a girl out there being allowed to have sex, not being a slut, because I hate slut-shaming. She's allowed to do what she wants to just because she feels like it, and I think that's great. But you you, you brought up an, a point that kind of that, – that basically undermined the entire movie for me, which is that most – teenagers, especially one who has never done any kind of sexual act whatsoever. I think the only thing she says is that maybe she kissed somebody or, or maybe she, she might not have even gotten that far. Um, but most teenagers don't behave like this. And I found the entire movie to be populated by a group of teenagers who were wildly, wildly sexually experienced. Every single teenager in this film is so sexually experienced, so jaded, so comfortable and blasé with sex that I just kept thinking, what what world is this? This is set in, in Idaho. I think it's in Boise, Idaho in 1993. I just don't think there's any high school in Boise, Idaho, <laughs> maybe in New York. Maybe if you went to Spence. They would be different. But there's no school in America in 1993 where every teenager has had so much sex 
that they can just talk about it with complete ease. They're not shocked by anything. They know every term for everything, and they've done it all. They know terms that you and I didn't know because you yes. and I were actually talking about those at the screening. Like, what is that, Rafer? <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, the, the studio passed actually passed out a copy of Brandy Clark's to-do list, um, which includes all these crazy terms, uh, not, not just the jobs, but uh, other things. That I'd never heard of and all these people had. <laughs> and it, I, I think ultimately I know what you're saying that there is this sense it's, – and it's also kind of – we should say it's a, it's a bit of – you mentioned Connie Britton as the mother. It's a, it's a bit of a role reversal on American Pie. She plays the Eugene Levy character in American Pie. She's always coming to, coming to the daughter and trying to give her sort of the, the TMI sex talk. Um, Clark Gregg plays her husband, and he's he's the prudish one. He doesn't want the the wife to give the daughters uh, any sexual uh, education. Um, but I just found it wholly unrealistic that everybody would be so unimpressed, un, un unmoved, uh, attached so little meaning to any act of sexuality. And eventually, I felt like all the sex in this film was a really gross, b demeaning, and b somehow meaningless. And there's that weird moment at the end where Johnny Simmons. Oh, don't ruin it. Ah, okay, don't ruin well, it. well, there's there's a weird there's a weird line in the film about what sex means, and it, and basically, yes, yes, there basically, is. it's this about. wiffle waffle kind of line about oh, well, sex is not a big deal. I mean, it's kind of a big deal, but it's not really a big deal. And I kept thinking like. What call, me, is, call me part of the Christian right, but is that really a message to be sending out there? And does anyone really does any does any teenager really believe that sex I, is just not a big deal? I don't think that's what they were saying. I think they were saying they sex say that verbatim. They were saying sex doesn't have to be a big deal. Sex can be a big deal. Sex can be not a big deal. But it's not something to be obsessed about, to be shamed about, to be defined by. But it's something that you can really, really, really enjoy when you want to. I find that I find that, a, that I like. find that a strange message. <laughs> I find that what? I find that a strange message to deliver to to anyone of almost any age. Oh, that's that se- that sex is not a big deal. It seems weird to me. It seems we we all know we all know as we get older that sex can be no big deal. But I think there's some little piece of our heart, and I think, it's, I think it's this lack of heart that bugged me in the movie. There's some little piece of our heart that tells us that sex is kind of supposed to be a big deal. Mm. And I find that just totally missing in this movie. Mm. Wow. Bad date. Wow. I really loved this date. Wow. I thought this was a great date. More feminist sex comedies. I want them. Make them make more movies just with lots of women in them. Also, I agree. I totally agree. I was thinking about it. There just aren't that many movies that are made with women in them, and especially this summer, there haven't been a ton of them. And it was great to see one where three of the leads were women in this movie and all of their best friends. I agree. More, more, more movies like that. Less movies like this one. Oh, Oh, Rafer. Okay, Okay. Kristen, take us into the Wolverine with Hugh Jackman. Well. I am going to just first preface this. In case you don't know who the Wolverine is, he's part of the X-Men franchise. He never grows old. He never dies. If he gets injured, his body just kind of repairs it very, very quickly. Now, the movie opens in the 1940s. Nagasaki is about to be bombed, and he saves a Japanese soldier during the nuclear bombing. And then years later, in, in the present day, 
we re-meet Wolverine. Of course, he hasn't aged. That's right. Um, <laughs> Still, his, his hair has grown. His hair is a little bit crazy. His yes. hair is a little bit crazy. <laughs> he's kind of a mountain man. He's yes. hanging out with bears. And you see that he's kind of directionless. He He's tired of never dying. He's hurt a lot of people over the years. He has a lot of regrets. He does. And then... <laughs> And then, out of nowhere, that Japanese soldier sends for him. He's now on his deathbed. He wants to say, thank you, Wolverine. Thank you for saving my life back in Nagasaki. And Wolverine is like, what else am I going to do? I just hate life. I hate life so much. I guess I'll, I guess I'll go to Japan and say goodbye to this oh, guy. Might as well. And that puts the whole story into motion. And things maybe aren't just about saying goodbye. Here's, here's a clip of the movie. You have ten words. Ten words. To explain to me why you would want your fiance killed by the Yakuza. You don't have the faintest idea what's going on. How many words was that? Nine. Nine. You have one word left. All right. Now, you and I, Kristen, both have um, mixed feelings, I think, about superhero films in general. And by mixed, we mean mostly we think they're stupid. Mostly we think they're stupid. <laughs> That's true. You and I do find common ground on this. Um now, th- this seems to me to be um, a little bit less of a this, – this is, this is coming toward the end of summer. It's not quite one of the big-scale, giant tentpole movies like, like Man of Steel or The Avengers or something like that. Um, I think it's a little more modest in its ambitions. What did you think of it? Well, first of all, I have to point out something, Rafer, that before I give my opinion, I know that you usually don't like – the, the dark superhero. No, I don't like that. The superhero who is conflicted and feeling bad about himself. I don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. And as I said when we were introducing this movie, he kind of is that guy. He he had okay. So Famke Jansen returns as the ghost of Jean Grey, his his former lover, and by former I mean dead. Uh, she comes back here and there. He he kind of can't let her go. I'm cool with that. There's something kind of noirish about it. That, that I feel like it gives a little shading to the character. I'm okay with that. I just don't want I don't want I don't want hurt feelings superhero. I don't I don't, I don't want emo Spider-Man and I don't want bummed out Superman. That's what I don't want. All right. So I just wanted to preface this saying he has this quality which you hate. He does. But personally I thought it was so well executed. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because Hugh Jackman's an outstanding actor, if it was well written. There was a whole combination of stuff that was happening that made this work so well for me. I get it. I wouldn't want to live forever. That sounds like a real bummer to me. Right. And what are you gonna do all the time? Didn't we all read Tuck Everlasting when we were in grade school? Right. You know? <laughs> you get bored living forever. There's something great about going through the cycles of life. You heard if... about Edward Cullen, he's always gotta you know, he keeps dating people, they keep dying. It's a bummer. It's a total bummer. It's a total bummer. So I enjoyed that. And I also really enjoyed the um, supporting characters in this movie. Yeah. And I'm so sorry because I'm blanking out of their names now. Well, they're all Japanese and they all have very difficult names to pronounce. Yeah, if you speak English as a first language like we do. But the the supporting cast I thought was really fun in this movie. This movie actually does have a couple of very strong women in it. Um, That's right. That's um, right. Who do some uh, crazy martial arts moves. Yes, Just indeed. fantastic ones. And so I really thought it was... Fun. I got sucked in. I didn't expect to. I went in with very low expectations. And it really had me from minute one all the way up until maybe minute 100. And then <laughs> the last 30 minutes of this movie. And yes. I know I complain about this all the time, Rafer. And I know you've told me you just have to accept it. It's part of today's comic book action movie. 
I hate the half-hour fight sequence at the end yes, of all Yes, I know these. you do. Oh, it just drives me nuts. The half-hour fight sequence, there's a certain point where you're rolling your eyes, and maybe you close your eyes for a while, and you open them. It's like, oh, my God, they're still fighting. I it, cannot believe this fight is still happening. And then you kind of forget, like, hold on, why are they fighting again? Hold on, is this well, the I thing think, about the robot? Is this the thing about the... I know, another, you know? another freaking robot, by the way. Another oh, freaking robot what, samurai. Yeah. Oh, um, God, that's they're... not a spoiler, I think, especially if you're an X-Men, uh, if you're an X-Men fan. You, you, know that's, you know that's part of this movie. Um, I think one of the things you're getting at, though, is important. Um, and this movie does fall into that trap. You, what, the, what they're failing to do for you, Kristen, is make you care, is to make you give a damn. What, and, and what they're really doing is just putting a bunch of stuff in front of your eyes and having the superhero go, oh, no, I'm, I'm winning, I'm losing, I'm winning, I'm losing, I've won. And, and that's not enough for you. And you need, more, you need more character, you need more something. No, I something just don't has need the to fight be, sequence you to just last that long. <laughs> okay, no, I guess I'm wrong. I just don't need the fight but sequence. But it, it's, like it's like a romance movie without a kiss, or it's like a, it's like a Western without a, without a showdown I at know, the end. But you you, you feel, need it. How it's, would you feel about the final kiss scene, just being them standing in the rain kissing for <laughs> Half an hour. Okay. We're just going to watch them for half an hour. Cause, oh, look. Now he kind of chewed on her lower lip. All right. Here's some tongue. You have, All a, right, you, now, have a, you have a point there. Now it's like a half hour later. It's like, oh, my God. Can I watch you people any longer? You have a point there. I mean, I love to kiss for half an hour in the rain. I'm sure other people love to fight robots for half an hour in, <laughs> in the Japan. rain. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> it's all fine. But do I want to watch it for half an hour? Eh. And okay. it's not about good or bad character development. Wolverine is a fantastically built, developed, acted character in this movie. He's wonderful. I love built, Wolverine. She says, fantastically <laughs> built character. I, oh, I did I did notice that the, <laughs> the the 3D effects of this movie are mostly concentrated on Hugh Jackman's chest. He takes that shirt off constantly and I always think like, boy, those deltoids do look really good in 3D. That guy is built. Mm, and I say no objection. I I got to say that is that is one of the many things um that works in this film's favor. Um, it it really is a super fun superhero movie. It's slick. Uh, it's it's enjoyably written. And I, I thought it was really great. And here's the thing. Hugh Jackman, you know, you have a star like that in the movie. You watch the guy do just about anything. He's so good looking. He's so charming. He's so much fun to watch. He could do anything. And the one the one supporting uh, actress that you I th- I, I'm thinking that you're thinking about is... Um, this woman named I'm going to try to pronounce her name Tao Okamoto. If the I'm, redhead, not the redhead. That's oh, uh, I loved that's the uh, redhead. Rila the redhead was my favorite. Rila, Rila Fuku, Fukushima. Yeah, she's the, she's the redhead with the sword, and she's like oh, she's uh, fierce. She's great. Uh, she's the sword swinging clairvoyant uh, who becomes kind of uh, Wolverine's helpmate. But uh, Tao Okamoto plays uh, Mariko, who is uh, the Japanese businessman's granddaughter. Uh, so Logan basically says, you know, I'm not going to help you with your crazy plan, but I will sleep with your granddaughter. Um, <laughs> she 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 struck me as so almost supernaturally beautiful oh, and so gorgeous. graceful and ethereal. She's a, she's a Japanese Ralph Lauren model, apparently. And this is her first film. Um, and she's really good. And not just because she's so beautiful, but she also has a certain just a kind of a presence, this really kind of light classically Japanese way of moving and speaking that I found made their love scenes really pretty electrifying, uh, which you don't often see in a superhero movie. And uh, I really liked those two together. So, you know, I I thought this was a pretty good date. A lot of fun. 
I thought it was a great date. I All thought right. it was a really, really good date. And not just because I went in with low expectations. Or maybe slightly. I don't know. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. But mostly I thought I was going out with a nerd, but then I actually was going out with a man. So, oh, hey. Oh. Yeah. It was good. Good date. Very, very good date. Nicely done. All right. Uh, okay. So uh, what we're uh, one disagreement, one agreement so All far. All right. We're keeping little notes here. Let's see how we feel about... Uh, Fruitvale Station. Uh, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts about this. Yeah. Um, this, this is a much more serious movie. Yeah, we, yeah, we're yeah we're do, we're doing a 180 here with Fruitvale Station. Um, this is a, a, I guess you'd say a dramatized version of uh, the real story of uh, the events surrounding a 2009 shooting in the Fruitvale Bart Station in Oakland, California. Um, it took place in the early early morning hours 2 of uh, yeah. two a.m. Yeah, on uh, New Year's Day in two thousand nine, and uh, Oscar Julius Grant the third was a twenty two year old uh, young black man detained off the train after some kind of altercation with some other passengers. He and his friends. But uh, Oscar was uh, laid face down and shot in the back fatally by a transit officer who later claimed he mistook his gun for a taser. Um, you might remember the story. It, it caused a lot of outcry nationally at the there time. Were but also, there were riots. Yeah, there, violent yeah. protests in the Bay Area um, and also uh, a lot of protests after uh, the officer was let off with what does seem like a fairly light sentence, two, manslaughter. two years for involuntary manslaughter. Which he served less than a year of. Which he served less than a year of. Um, so uh, Ryan Coogler, a young young director and writer, uh, made this film uh, with the help of uh, Forrest Whitaker, who provided some of the uh, producing help. And here's a clip. I'm scared. Scared of what? I hear guns outside. You know what, baby? Not just firecrackers. You're safe inside with your cousins. What about you, Daddy? Me? Maybe I'm gonna be fine. I'll tell you what, though. When we wake up in the morning, we're gonna play Candyland. So that is Oscar Grant III, played by Michael B. B. Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. Not Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan. He's, he's saying goodnight to his daughter, and that's because this whole movie takes place in tw- a 24-hour period. Roughly. Right. It's the last 24 hours of his life. He's saying goodnight to his daughter. He's about to go off and celebrate New Year's. It's also his mom's birthday. Mm-hmm. And so we see everything that happens in this last 24 hours of his life, both good and bad. Yeah. We see that he's no angel. He has yep. a criminal record. He's been to prison. Yep, San Quentin. He uh, is a has, drug dealer. He's not good at holding down a job. He shows up late every time when he does have a job. Cheats on his girlfriend. <laughs> he does a lot of stuff that's yeah. pretty crummy. Yeah. But he also has very loving parts of himself, too. He really he loves his grandma. He's not afraid to help out people he doesn't know. Right. He, um, he's super fun with his kid. He's loving and fun as a dad. And he's got very loyal friends. And yes. so we have a lot of good stuff and we have a lot of crappy stuff about him. A full round picture, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then we have that shooting. We have yeah. the shooting that the whole movie is building up to. Right. What did you think, Rafer? Um, I, you know, I, there's a lot of buzz on this film. Um, and I think this film is is pretty clearly headed for one or more Oscars uh, nominations. Um you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, this is the kind of movie, especially when you know the ending. It's a it's a, a news story whose arc you're familiar with. You know the headlines. You they, know what's going to happen. Yeah, and they actually open the movie with the ending, and then yeah, that's right. Back. Uh, they open the, they open the film with. Um, I, I forgot to mention that um, one of the interesting things about this case was that uh, several people uh, videotaped it, or well, vi- on their cell phones, videoed. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no tape anymore. Um, but you know, video cameras. 
cameras and cell phones. Uh, so and the, the the shooting was captured from several different angles. At least four, three, four, five of them were used in um, in the court in the in the trial. Uh, one of which opens the film, the actual footage, and and the events of the of that shooting, which were, by the way, shot with Bart's cooperation, Barrier Rapid Transit, shot with Bart's cooperation on the Fruitvale Station platform where Oscar Grant was killed. Um, that 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 sequence is is recreated somewhat, some poetic license there, some some dramatic license, but recreated as faithfully as possible, I think, to those multiple videos that were taken. Um, but I, I was worried in this movie that dramatically it wouldn't pull me all the way through. Um, and I was worried that you have one of these kind of classic stories. Oh, the young man cut down in his prime and he was just starting to turn his life around. You know, uh, I have some friends who are kind of hard-bitten tabloid journalist types who have gotten – you know, desensitized to this kind of stuff where, you know, they, they'll make a joke about, uh, you know, wait a minute, let me guess. Was he a young man just starting to turn his life around? Because it's such a familiar story. I was worried about that. But I feel like what this movie did in this, in this really sensitive, underplayed, understated way was it just asked you to get to know the victim. Would you just spend a little time with this guy and realize that he was a human being and a person connected and related to other people who now feel his loss. And I, at the end of the movie, I was surprised, uh, because you know how hard-hearted I am, Kristen, I was surprised at how moved I was, and also, as, an, as a non-black person, I felt the outrage that I think many black Americans feel, you know, we're, we're right here in the wake of the Trayvon Martin shooting as well. I, I understood a little better why these people are so sick of this story, are so outraged and so pained by this story. And I felt that though the movie has some flaws, it really did exactly, I think, what it was trying to do. Did you, what, what were your thoughts? Well, Quick question. Do you think this was for black, brown audiences, white audiences? Who do you think this film was made for? Well, that, that, that's, that's one of my concerns. I have a hard time seeing this film becoming um, – I, I mean a hit it probably will not be. But I, I wonder how financially successful it will be because it is one of these movies that I feel like the, the audience that needs to see it is the audience that is less likely to go see it. I was thinking that too. I'm like, you know who needs to see this? Police officers. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, do you know yeah. who else needs to see this? People who aren't even aware of the privilege that they're born into. Yes, exactly. Rich people, people who aren't even necessarily rich, but who are white and benefit from white privilege, even though they don't necessarily feel that they do. Yeah. Um, those thoughts all crossed my mind when I was watching this. Yeah. And I will say that being said, regardless of who's going to see it, who's not going to see it, I thought the movie, like you, had some problems, but overall, I liked that it showed him both good and bad. Yeah. I, I was kind of scared when I went in there, oh, they're going to show him as an angel. Right. He gets released from prison. He really has made life better. It's like, no, we open up knowing all this crap about him. Right. And then we just see him do more bad crap. Right. And good stuff. But uh, yeah, and he, and, you know, and he and, is and, trying. He is trying. Kind of, but I didn't need to believe he was going to turn his life around. A lot of it seemed like he might turn his life around. A lot of it seemed like he probably isn't going to succeed at this point. Maybe he will when he's 27 or 29 mm. or 30. To me, that wasn't the point of the movie that he's really going to do it, but that he was conflicted and kept on screwing up and kept on trying. And 
He's, he's just, just a person. Exactly. And, and I also was thinking about myself at 22. I mean, oh, come God. on. Yeah. We already talked about the summer of 93. <laughs> yeah, it's right. like you're living right. in your heroin house and I'm just like living in that neighborhood where all the neighbors break into my house with me or without me. Right. You know? Right. Um, so I, I liked that it just showed him as a person. And I agree yeah. with you. It, it succeeds at that. And when he when it opens with that real footage, it's a it's an amazing way to open the movie. Yeah. And when he's actually shot and his girlfriend wailing and yeah. wailing for him, oh my god, that part just killed me. Yeah, some some very some good performances too by uh, Melanie Diaz who plays yes. his girlfriend Sophina, and um, she's also the mother of his child. They, yes, they have a four year old. Yes, and um, uh, and we should say Octavia Spencer uh, from The Help plays oh, Oscar's she's mother. Always great, and Love also a, a not a not very a not very teary role, not which I thought was good. Not a lot of weepy crying there were there were there was a there's a moment there's a flashback in the film where i think a a different filmmaker and a different actress would have handled it differently and turned on the waterworks and oh, they no. they she's they refrained from one. doing that yeah she's she's really good that way um and i have to say michael b jordan the guy who plays oh, oscar so good. really good handsome dude charming amiable likable um real uh, fun to watch um just pulls you right in you just you love the guy from top to bottom despite all his flaws he is really good i would not be surprised if he gets an oscar nod he for this great. movie yeah he was great so i i i liked it uh, a, a, a definitely it uh, sounds weird to say good date about a movie like this but um i like the movie a lot yeah i would also say good date and kind of I don't know. If, yeah, good dates. But, but <laughs> right. yeah, definitely. I, I would recommend that people see this movie. Yeah, I would too. I would too. Um, so let's end. Let's end this, Kristen, with Blue Jasmine from Woody Allen. Um, and uh, I have a feeling you and I are going to are going to duke it out on this one. I have a feeling too. Now, <laughs> this, <laughs> this movie um, is. Uh, the, the way I've been explaining it to people, it's almost like a retelling of the Bernie and Ruth Madoff story. Yes. We have a filthy, rich New York couple. They're just rolling in money. They're lighting their cigars with Benjamins. They're so, <laughs> so, so rich. And the, you know, the Ponzi schemes are revealed. There are uh, some problems. There's some jail. And then the equivalent of Ruth Madoff, who's played by Kate, Kate. Blanchett. She runs off to San Francisco to live with her sister and be taken care of by her sister. Now, I have to point out also that Alec Baldwin plays kind of the Bernie Madoff character in this. Yeah. And um, he's always great. <laughs> he, he is. He is always great. He is always great. It's a great cast. Uh, Sally Hawkins plays Ginger, uh, the, uh, the, the kind of lower class, working class sister. Um, and uh, she's got a series of men she's juggling. All, one all... of them is Louis C.K. Yeah, one of them is Louis C.K. The others are Bobby Cannavale and um, Andrew Dice Clay, of all yes. people. Yes. And so uh, we watch the adventures of Kate Blanchett trying to make sense of her life after the Ponzi scheme is revealed, after the husband goes to jail, dealing with her sister, class differences, and so on. Here's a clip of it. They saw you having lunch with her, taking her hand. Oh, what crap? Who told you that? I know who. It was that vacuous troublemaker, Lydia. Am I right? Were you? It had to be Lydia because I was having a business lunch with Amy at the Four Seasons. Did and you was there. take her hand? Are you nuts? You think if I was having an affair, I'd be crazy enough to have it in public at the Four Seasons? Well, I don't know. Sometimes you drink at lunch. Okay, Kristen. I, 
I know I know how you feel about this film. I know because we, we were just on the takeaway, I and know. I and I said how I felt, and you said how you felt. You and, sure did say how uh, you felt about I it. I couldn't believe how you felt. Let's talk about how you feel about this movie. How do I feel about it? I feel um, I, you're right. This film is clearly uh, based on on Ruth Madoff. Um, I, well, first of all, I should say Kate Blanchett is phenomenal. I think I think she is. In credit, Kristen's, Kristen's already thrown. She's almost taken her headphones off and left the <laughs> left the building. She's already angry. Okay, I thought Kate Blanchett was incredible. Again, definite Oscar nod. I don't that 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 seems that seems inevitable to me. She's great. She's raw and funny, and and uh, and fragile, and just she's she's amazing in it. And she, I think she carries the film, but I feel like there's also a really interesting approach that Woody Allen takes to this. And by the way, I can't think of any other Woody Allen film that you could describe as topical the way that this one is. Um, kind of that, I don't think Woody Allen has ever made sort of a current events movie, a sort of ripped from the headlines is an exaggeration because these events are, are past us. But that seemed really unusual and interesting to me. And, the, and he has a really interesting take on who Ruth Madoff might be. I don't want to say that, you know, he's this is clearly a fictionalized version of her, but he he finds the character of this of this Madoff woman. He finds her in Streetcar Named Desire. He finds her in Blanche Dubois. This movie is essentially, with some alterations, a Streetcar Named Desire. Bobby Cannavale plays the kind of almost Kowalski, and I thought that was really fascinating. There's a there's a there's a, a bit where Kate Blanchett, Kristen's growing, Kristen's growing. I am so offended on behalf of Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, I, I thought so I thought that was offended. a brilliant insight. It was a brilliant insight. She says these things. You know, Blanche has that famous line. You know, money it just goes places. You know, I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. And this one, you can you can almost see some of the lines modernized, where she says, you know, I I splurge out of habit. You know, Jeff husband says, I, I can't help it, you know. I thought that was a really interesting way of going back to an older piece of, of an older piece of literature, which is almost kind of a myth at these point at this point, and finding and finding a parallel to a modern day figure. I thought that was fascinating. I thought everybody in the film was good. I thought it was filled with really great, small, tiny, meaningful lines that kind of seep in. And I just loved it. And it's got an ending that I won't spoil, that I found very, also very unusual for a Woody Allen film. The, the, the tone of the ending, I thought, was very different for him. I, I loved it. I, I loved the movie. Uh, Great just date. Just in shock. I am in absolute shock because I don't this understand. movie was awful. I don't get that. Oh, okay, Tell me. first of all, let's start off, like, I, I will go point for point with you. You, okay. meant, you start off talking about Kate Blanchett's awesome acting. Yeah. She is being Woody Allen. She's doing that thing I just can't stand where he takes any no. lead he has and he has them shake their hands a lot and, 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 pa- and pause and, 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 you know, and I'm just Woody Allen now and it's like don't do that to Kate Blanchett. She oh, is, I disagree. But she okay, she's such a great actor. Don't turn her into another Woody Allen. He takes so many of his protagonists and has them just talk like that. He may as well be like Elvi or whatever in one of his old. Okay. You know, I mean, seriously, <laughs> cut it out. Stop being a neurotic New York. 
you know, upper crust person who's exactly like all your neurotic other upper crust people who kind of, you know, they kind of touch their hands like this and they're kind of, you know, I'm, you know, they're repeating themselves and, you huh. know, oh my gosh, it just drove me nuts. But there's that a very, she's, she's got nuts. a very serious side and this is not just, this is not just, you know, she's always, she's always dr- uh, drinking Stoli and popping Xanax in this yes, film. she is. But, but, oh, but and, there's a serious side. She's got a, she's got an almost mental illness going in this oh. movie and I thought that gave it an edge. She, she does have almost a mental illness, but in a way I feel that the film is showing it just as laziness. Like, you know, hmm. it's like you're mentally ill just because you're too lazy to fix yourself, because you're too lazy to get better, because you refuse to see how awful you are. And to so me, you, it was just couldn't... watching awful people behave awfully, especially to the weakest and to the kindest. They're just terrible to people. Ginger, to her sister, Sally Hawkins. Not and... just to her sister, but to anyone her sister loves. Yes. Anyone else who's kind, anyone else who's happy, anyone else who tries to help her. So you couldn't you she... couldn't sympathize with the protagonist. You couldn't sympathize with Kate Blanchett's character. Oh God, no. She was terrible. And and she was just so hateful and she was mean to everybody. She was unkind to everyone. Even the people she pretended to or believed that she loved briefly, because she does have a relationship in the movie. Yeah, uh, Peter Peter, Peter Sarsgaard. Um, And she can't be decent to anybody. Hmm. She can only lie. She can only be mean. She can only steal. She only can do bad things. And just watching mean people be mean, I don't enjoy that. That's interesting. I don't think you're supposed to I'm not sure you're supposed to – I think you're supposed to empathize with her. I don't what? think you're necessarily supposed to sympathize with her. It's, it's a difference. Oh, I don't think we're supposed to empathize with her. I just felt like, oh, look huh. at how – I felt that Woody Allen was trying to punish her. There's an she, element of that. While she punished everyone else. It's like I don't want to watch her be punished and then watch her punish other people. It just got really sad and mean and tiresome. I didn't think it was smart. It really just reminded me of some sort of abuse cycle that I just don't feel like watching. Interesting. Oh, I okay. God. You so you you would say like actual terrible date. Terrible one of the day. worst movies I've seen in the <laughs> oh, last come year. On. Absolutely You're kidding. hands down one of the worst movies I've seen in the last year. Oh, I think it's one of Woody Allen's better films. Oh. I think it's one of the best things he's done in, in the last, let's say, five years or so. God, it's gonna make people like afterward go out in the streets and just grab two by fours and beat each other. <laughs> it's so miserable and misanthropic and life sucks. Let's just hurt everybody. It's I'll, I'll be darned, Kristen. That's oh, that is it. fascinating to me. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. So we're uh, so we're two we're two for two. We agree on two. We disagree on two. All right. All right. We're tied. Okay. So um, let's do a little listener mail. Um, we got a we got an interesting an interesting uh, call from uh, a listener who apparently is not that happy with us. Hi. This is Mike from Long Island City, Queens. I'm just kind of a little bit. Uh, confused as to why public radio is supporting um, uh, a show like yours that's covering um, mindless corporate culture so much, like you were just on the radio and all you did was talk about garbage films when there's so much great independent film and intelligent film being shown. Corporate culture, you know, does not need any help from public radio and public-funded radio, and nobody really needs to be told to go see the to-do list. Um, it's just really a waste of energy because they're, they're films that are just not doing anything for culture. So I just wish you would not dumb down. Uh, I guess you're under some sort of pressure to dumb down and try to cover some more films like The Act of Killing and some other, you know, which you did cover and some other more intelligent films. Um, we just don't need any more coverage of this type of, you know, idiocy uh, and uh, insulting films that, that come out one after another through corporate culture. Thank you. 
I guess I would say that I, you know, I, I feel your pain, Mike. Um, you know, I don't get to see as many uh, foreign films, independent films and documentaries as I would like to, uh, because it's true. Most of my time is taken up by the multiplex releases, the superhero films, the action films, the rom-coms, um, the, un- the un-rom-coms uh, that come out. But I don't think that um, all this culture is mindless, and I don't think you need to be mindless when you review this stuff. I think all these movies always have something interesting to say about who's making them, who's watching them, and what's going on in our culture. Um, you know, And I won't give you a big, long diatribe about the meaning of the superhero film or why fantasy is so important these days or what's happening with all these comedies in which uh, women are kind of one-upping the men in terms of sex and raunch and gross-out humor and all the things that used to be male-dominated genres. But these things, I think, are interesting. Um, Now, if you feel that my reviews, that our reviews are mindless, I, I I just don't know what to say to that, and and, and perhaps they are. But I think <laughs> I think that we try to think about these things, and I feel that even the junk that is going on out there in popular culture is always interesting, and it's never without meaning. There's always some kind of meaning, even in something like the Wolverine. I can't off the top of my head think of what that might be right now, but I know there is some meaning. Oh, there is. To the Wolverine. I, I have actually a big thesis on it that we didn't even get to, which is oh, about... Oh, is that right? Yeah. I think there's a lot of East-West anxiety happening right now. We saw it in Pacific Rim. We see it in so many movies now. Oh, that's interesting, we actually. We have Asia versus the Western world and where they meet up, partly because it's topical, but partly because we are trying to reach an international Asian market now, the largest well, that's very true. Film. I did think about that. And I that. think that what's happening as far as the economy economy goes and international relations has had a major effect on film. And one thing I'm really appreciative for as an Asian person is this is great that Asians get to be in movies now. Yeah. Never in my life have I seen so many Asians in movies. I wish some of them were Americans. I hate that we're always Mm. playing foreigners. I'd Mm -hmm. really love for Asians to actually be just talking the way you and I are talking right now instead of in some sort of stilted accent. But you know, small steps, right? Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. But there you, I, well, see there? There you go, Mike. There you yeah. go. But Mike, call in again anytime. We actually just, we, we thought that was a really smart question. Yeah, I like I like that question. So thank you, Mike. Um, okay, so now uh, we'll... Let's do that trivia. Let's do that trivia. Yeah. Uh, last week, we were talking about uh, The Conjuring, um, and that was a film that we that we both, you know, someone actually wrote to us online saying that we that we missed the point that we didn't understand that The Conjuring was not a ripoff of uh, the last fifty years of horror films, but actually an homage to uh, the last fifty years of horror films. I one guess of I, our Pittsburgh listeners, yes, yes. I guess I would say that you know, look, one man's one man's homage is another is another man's ripoff. But uh, <laughs> there you go. One of the films that we felt was stolen, let's say, borrowed uh, in The Conjuring, was this one. Sweetie, remember last night? Do you remember when you woke up and you said you're here? Uh huh. Well, who did you mean? Who's here? TV people. We asked you to name that clip, and uh, at least uh, we got we we got we several several right yeah, answers. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and here's the first person to call in. Hey guys, this is Aaron from Chandler, Arizona. Yes, Aaron from Facebook. How's it going? Um, first off, the answer to your trivia question is Poltergeist. The very first movie I saw on VHS. Yeah, that's how old I am. Um, but I have a concern. You guys gave a relatively positive review to RIPD and then gave a really lukewarm review to The Conjuring. 
which leads me to believe that you are under duress. So whoever has you kidnapped, I will pay the money. I'll pay the money. Just let them go. Thanks. Bye. Oh, Aaron, it was so nice to hear from you actually on the phone. Aaron is one of our very active on Facebook page uh, listeners. And uh, Aaron, it was great to hear your voice. Aaron, I assure you that nobody has kidnapped us. We, get, we give these reviews of our own free will. These are, these are, our, <laughs> these are our un unbiased opinions. There's no need to shell out the money. But Would if you... we tell the truth if we were kidnapped? Because what if somebody was holding us at gunpoint? We have to pretend. We are very comfortable here. We are being well taken care of. We are not kidnapped. We're not here against our will. But Aaron, if you do want to put the money by the mailbox on the corner, that could be helpful to us, to our case. Kristen, Kristen what is this week's trivia? Oh, well, we've been talking. We, we started this whole thing off talking about the summer of 93. And summer of 93 had a lot of great soundtracks, a lot of bad soundtracks. Uh, in Mostly the bad, I'd say. <laughs> I liked some of them. I liked some of them. But we're going to play a song for you from one of the soundtracks from one of the movies from the summer of 93. You tell us what the song is, what movie it appeared in. All you have to do is call 5717movies. Or you can log on to facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. Hey, yo, kids. What's up? Remember when I used to be dope? Yeah. I own a pocket full of fame. But look what you're doing now. I know. Well, I know. I lost touch with reality. Now my personality is an unwanted commodity. Believe Can't it. believe I used to be Mr. Steve Austin on the mic. Six million ways I used to run it. I guess Oscar Goldman got mad. Because I got loose circuits. So loose. I mean so a mother goose with the eggs that seem to be... Oh. 